but I once was bringing um, kind of my own body image pieces to confession. And yeah, I was really blessed by the response of a priest expressing, this is the body that God has chosen to make you a saint in. Welcome to This Whole Life, a podcast for all of us seeking sanity and sanctity, and a place to find joy and meaning through the integration of faith and mental health. I'm Kenna Malay, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm happy to bring you this podcast along with my husband, Pat Malay, a Catholic speaker, musician, and leader. We invite you to our kitchen table. Okay, not literally, but you're definitely invited into the conversations that we seem to keep having once the kids have scattered off to play and we're left doing the dishes. We're excited to share this podcast for educational purposes. It's not intended as therapy or as a substitute for mental health care. So let's get talking about this whole life. Hey everyone, I am so excited to share today's episode with you. Um, it's my interview with my colleague, Megan Lawrence, a licensed associate marriage and family therapist, actually with us at the Martin Center for Integration in Minnesota. Megan received her bachelor degree in studio art, printmaking and drawing, and art history from Drake University, then went on to serve four years as a missionary with focus um, on college campuses. Megan went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln to pursue her master's in science in marriage and family therapy. Um, And Megan is such a gift to us at the MCI, and I'm excited to share her with you today. So welcome, Megan, to our new podcast location. Thank you. Megan came in here and she was like, ah. (laughs) If you could see, there are blankets hanging to try and buffer sound. There's artwork canvases leaned up against walls it is it is something to be here in progress yeah 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 and um Megan we are actually the studio is in the MCI's office Mm -hmm. our clinical office which you and I roam these halls most days of this week um but it's really quiet here today um especially there's been some construction (laughs) at the end of the hallway (laughs) So I'm hoping that we can catch the workers on their break <laughs> and, um, and yeah, be without disruption today, but it's so good to be with you. Thank you. So, it's yeah. a gift to be here. I'm really grateful. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, to warm us up and also as a way for our listeners to get to know you, um, we share a high and hard mm-hmm. at the beginning. So do you have something? Are you ready to roll? Yes. Okay, sweet. Bring it on. Um, I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, the hard that was coming to my mind as I was reflecting, it's not um, its not my hardest hard for sure, but it has been a unique hard of this winter. Um, those of you who are listening in Minnesota will know that it has been a very abnormal winter for us. It's been like so weird. 50 degrees for the last three weeks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah. And before that, it was like negative 15 for a yeah. week. I just want to be clear. We're yes. still paying our dues. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, it's true. <laughs> um, and so my heart is not that it has, um, the weather has been different than normal. It has been beautiful. You can't be mad at 50 degrees. Um, the heart has been that it hasn't been snowing. Yes. I really, really love snow. It's, um, yeah, something that I find tremendously beautiful, really peaceful, and just like a way that I receive a lot of love from the Lord. And um, yeah, so there's been kind of a unique poverty there for me this year. Um, 
but it's also been a way that he's been expanding my awareness of his of his love um so yeah that's even outside of the snow right which i would say most people pat included would say that snow is is an obstacle to experiencing <laughs> god's love sometimes yeah so this is helpful. This is helpful to see there are other perspectives and that you live in Minnesota on purpose. <laughs> like this is a choice you have made. Yeah, I do really love winter a lot. Um, <laughs> so I've had friends who are sending me, you know, photos of their snowy backyard. Um, so it's a delight to know that other people. Yeah. So it is snowing in other places, yeah. just not here. Okay, yes, cool. Cool, cool. Very closely to us, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's been pretty unique. Um, yeah. So not, not the hardest hard but a, a kind of internal place that the Lord has been present. Um, and then in terms of my high, this hasn't um, occurred yet, but I'm anticipating it in the next couple of weeks. Um, in the fall, I started going to figure drawing sessions. Mm. Um, there's a couple of places in the cities that um, will have a model present and people can come and draw. And um, so I was going in the fall. I like took a break and has now restarted. So I'm looking forward to getting to go back again. Very, very yeah. cool. Which um, makes sense to me then, Megan, we had asked you to create some artwork yeah. for a holy card that we offered to our clients this Christmas. And you did a beautiful painting of the Madonna and child. And so I'm imagining you were drawing upon um, a lot of your skills from that. And it came out beautifully. Maybe we should link that up too. Maybe we can find a way to put the image up on the podcast um, show notes because it really was incredible. Thank so, you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you to be able to do that. Thank you. Very, very cool. Um, okay. So my high and hard, um, I will start with my hard, um, which has been maybe, you know, um, connected, not maybe, for sure connected to this episode, Megan, and just knowing that you and I were going to be talking about um, body awareness, body acceptance, but gratitude of our bodies, and just being more like honest and um, and reflective about my relationship with my body. And I just, I think because I have never formally experienced like an eating disorder, or, you know, anything like that, I was like, oh yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And as I began to prepare for today and look over some of the things that you had shared ahead of time of like, hey, let's talk about these things, or I want to share this with listeners, I was like, oh man, like there may be more healing there than I realized. And I think particularly, you know, coming out of many years of bearing children and nursing babies and, you know, getting up in the middle of the night with babies and what have you, like there's a way in which, um, yeah, and this is maybe even getting into the episode, but like a way in which um, I haven't been as expressive of my thanks to my body and really given myself the space to consider like what, how it has served me and, and what a gift that is. So just the heart of like, man, I like looked in that corner and there's like some work to do and, <laughs> and there's always work, but, um, but yeah, that kind of took me by surprise. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that this episode is prompting me and we hope that's what it's doing for our listeners too, prompting them to consider, um, how, how they might grow and heal in this regard. But yeah, took me by surprise. Mm -hmm. So there's that a little a little teaser for you, um, and then I would say my high is um, so Megan. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Pat is in the custom of 
reading aloud to our oldest kids, mainly mainly the oldest two because he's done it with them for so long. The, the younger boys are starting to get into it. The girls, the toddler girls are just too squirrely still. They can hardly make it through a picture book. But um, but he has like read all the Harry Potters with, well, not all. I think they haven't read the seventh yet, but um, six of the Harry Potters, um, the Narnia series, you know, just these books that Pat like really values and, and wants to be present to talk through with him. And, um, so I chose, um, someone reminded me the other day of the book, the boys in the boat. Do you know this book? Yeah, I haven't read it, but I am familiar with it. Okay. Have you seen the movie? I just found out that it's a movie too. It is. I haven't seen it yet. No. Okay. So, um, I do not think of myself as an athlete and I was a rower in high school. Mm. And so it's kind of fun because my, like I'm sharing something about myself, like through this book. So like we read one of the first sections and then my, our, my kids are like, our oldest two are like, I don't understand what they're talking about when it comes to rowing. Cause it's just not, it's not like basketball or football or sure. baseball that you just observe, like walking through life as an American. Um, and so I was like, let's look up some YouTube videos. And so watch some videos on technique and then watched some videos from the coxswain's view of one of the most prestigious races that we hold here, a collegiate race here in America. And so they were just like, whoa, you know, and like mine's blown. And, um, and it's just been so fun, number one, to have that quality time with them. Mm-hmm. But number two, to like be connected with something in myself that like, I mean, high school was a long time ago for me. (laughs) It's more than half my life ago. And so, um, to, to be reconnected and to like find this energy and there's a bit of nostalgia and also maybe connected to the body, like, whoa, like that's amazing that my body did that. The book actually says, like comes out and says that it is, um, more difficult than any other, sport out there, like the intensity and the compactness that the, like the effort occurs in. Um, and so my kids were just like, man, that's amazing. I'm like, yeah, that is amazing. (laughs) Not that I was like an Olympic athlete level at it, but, um, but it's just been really fun. So that's been an unexpected little gift this winter is to read with them. That's really lovely. Yeah. I um, have a friend who's reading it right now. Do you? Okay. Do you plan to read it? I'm hopeful too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, challenging. I mean, it takes place, you know, on the heels of the Great Depression and then leading into World War II. And so there's a lot that our, my daughter was saying, she was talking to friends at school about it, which is really cool. But she's like, you guys, his life, like the main character, his life was so hard and so sad. And I was like, yeah, like Hmm. we don't maybe talk about this enough because of, you know, we live in a a place of privilege. So um, I'd be curious if if you read it, what you'll think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So let's turn the corner into our topic today. And, um, you know, oftentimes, Megan, as is the case in this situation, when we invite someone on to be a guest on the podcast, we say to you like, hey, what do you want to talk about? Um, What is it that you would like to share with our listeners? What do you think would be of value? So maybe I'm just going to hand it over to you and kind of break open. What is it you want to share, you know, discuss today? Um, And then maybe also um, what stirred this in you that you thought this would be of value for this whole life listeners? Absolutely. Um, the topic that we're going to step into, as you mentioned earlier today is, um, around body acceptance and body awareness and this experience of receptivity, this posture of receptivity towards our bodies. And, um, it's, yeah, a really, um, I think important 
topic to me, an important um, space in my own like journey of healing, both personally and um, professionally. And um, yeah, it's just is pretty pretty close to my to my heart. In terms of my personal experience, um, I am one of three siblings, one of whom is my twin. And um, when we were in high school, she experienced the onset of an eating disorder and kind of that journey of recovery is one that that existed kind of many years beyond that. Um, but it was it was um, probably my first experience, at least like in close proximity with mental health. And um, yeah, and, and is one that as I've come to explore and understand my own story um, was impactful. Um, and so I think we'll get into to those pieces a little bit more later. Um, and then additionally, professionally, so I've, I've been here with the Martin Center for um, a little over a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and prior to that, I was working in a residential treatment center for adolescents in eating disorder recovery. And um, yeah, I had a, a really profound experience working there. It was... Um, yeah, a tremendous gift to my own healing. And um, yeah, profound is kind of the word that kind of continues to come to my mind, I think, because it's such um, difficult and raw work. Yeah. And also um, just an amazing witness to the possibility of healing, the resilience and wisdom of the body. Um, mm. and so many other things. So yeah, it was just, it's an, an experience that I have a lot of gratitude for. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly better for getting to walk with each of those, um, individuals mm. and, um, yeah, has, has impacted me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe Megan, we could start with that earliest encounter with mental health and with eating disorder that came about in your own family of origin with your sister. And, um, can you, would you be willing, like, it's, it's such a privilege to be able to hear from you and hear your perspective, your story. Um, but what, was that like as you look back and reflect um, what stands out to you? Um, maybe lessons learned or perspectives gained from your vantage point within that situation. Mm -hmm. In those experiences, I think as I look back now, um, it was something that kind of all of us were new to. It, it wasn't something that we had had experiences with before. We were certainly like learning within the process of it. And, um, yeah, I think something I learned from that experience and, and also my work in accompanying people in recovery is that the healing, of, excuse me, the, the journey of healing, the journey of recovery is not linear. Mm. Yeah. It's not linear. And that that's not a reflection on the person pursuing it. Mm. It's, it's the reality of, of humanity and, and healing. Um, yeah. And I think personally with, um, the person who is experiencing the eating disorder being, um, my twin mm -hmm. there, yeah, were a lot of different layers that were present. And one of the things that I, I noticed in terms of the, the narrative that I took on in terms of my own body was, um, a fear that it was um, 
facilitating or like encouraging the like eating disorder behaviors that it was a, an example or a witness of, of something my sister didn't want to look like, Hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, today I, I know more about eating disorders. I know more about my own story. I know more about the protectors in me that were showing up in that, that space, right. That, um, that we're trying to make sense of witnessing somebody I love going through something Mm. really difficult and, and really painful and Mm -hmm. like the suffering of that, that fight. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so there's, there's a lot of like work that's occurred in that, in that space, Mm -hmm. um, to be in a a place of understanding that differently today. But that was, um, yeah, a narrative that like really impacted the story that I was holding about my body, like in my life, you know, the, the, the fear that it, it was hurting somebody that I loved. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and I and I imagine, and you and I have had the privilege of talking about a sense of responsibility that can show up in all of our lives in our different roles, but that's a word that comes to mind. Like, am I responsible for or connected to um and in such an intimate way? Um, one of our, you know, we have twin daughters and one of our daughters asked the other day if there'll ever be a time that she's not a twin. Mm. And um, it struck me as like, oh, that is fascinating. Like, no, like there is this link, there's this way that that you are uniquely different than any of the other kids in our family. And and so I, in a way that I can't understand, even as the mom, um, of what that bond is like. And so what that experience could have been like for you to even just be peers, you know, at a similar developmental stage and age and and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you. Yeah. And maybe it's important also to share that, like, my family, my sister, like, nobody was verbally sure. communicating sure. this to me or even, yeah, yeah. Um, Peers is maybe a different story, but that's not yeah. necessarily needed to yeah to go into here. What I think um, resonated with me was when you mentioned a moment ago, Megan, like this was part of how my system made sense of what was going on. You know, that we are meaning-making machines. And even if the meaning we take out of it or the responsibility we put on ourselves or the blame and the shame we put on ourselves, like even if that's maladaptive and unhelpful, Ultimately, we're just looking for things to make sense because that's where we find security and stability and safety. So I don't know if that's maybe part of what you're hinting at. Correct. Yes. Um, Yeah. There weren't kind of people in my support network that were speaking or affirming this about my body. It was, yeah, a way that I was trying to make sense of something that that I didn't understand, Yeah. Um, which I I now have more awareness of today. Well, and I also think too, Megan, that you are really pointing at the systemic nature of mental health Mm -hmm. and the impact that a mental health disorder has not just on the person who receives the formal diagnosis, but all those around them, um, the ways that it touches them and impacts their perception of reality. Um, So I'm wondering, we're not making this whole episode about eating disorders, but I do think that we have this privilege as you and I are, you know, trained in marriage and family therapy um, and understand mental health um, to just talk a little bit. Would that be okay if we just dip into a little bit around eating disorders? I imagine there are folks who are listening who perhaps 
actively, you know, know that this is actively happening for themselves or for someone in their family. And this could be helpful or for those who are listening and and there's maybe a curiosity or something doesn't seem right. Um, And so maybe sharing some more clinical, technical information could be helpful. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking about kind of, I referenced earlier, right? In my heart that this awareness of like, I know I've never had a diagnosable eating disorder. And also I think I'm uncovering like, oh, I got some body image stuff that, that deserves some healing and some light around it. Can you talk to us a little bit about the difference and the distinction and just how you see that clinically, particularly? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think you are bringing up a really good um, point here. Often there is ways that we see overlap in these two two places, um, experiencing obstacles or barriers in terms of how we relate with our body does not necessarily mean that I have an eating disorder. However, there there can also be and often are experiences of those obstacles within the experience of an eating disorder. There are a variety of eating disorders and a handful of symptoms that we would be assessing for. Um, I can share a few of those. Um, Binge eating, so that would mean food or nutrition intake without a sense of control. Um, Purging, the act of like purging or eliminating food or nutrition intake from the body. Restriction um, of food or nutrition intake either kind of on a general or a a specific level. And um, another one that often we would commonly see is um, engaging in excessive or compulsive like movement or activity. And I think when it comes to considering an eating disorder, we would be exploring patterns of engaging in these behaviors. Um, And it would also be possible uh, to see a combination of these symptoms, such as a, a binge purge cycle or a binge restrict cycle, um, body image can certainly play a role in the expression of these behaviors. And it isn't uncommon for us to see concern or distress around body image in connection with eating disorder behaviors. But body image is not the only or like primary symptom uh, that we are often looking for in diagnosing an eating disorder. So, so for thinking about maybe some of the ways this shows up, because I know some of these were new to me when I stepped into the field of mental health. So I think of, um, you know, food restriction or anorexia is like the classic, like what most people would think of first, um, binging and purging. Can you explain a little bit of what maybe some of the symptoms or signs of that would be? Mm-hmm. Um, a, an experience of binging would be, consuming kind of without the feeling of control that it's not something does that make sense um so i'm not being mindful of like i'm eating till i'm full and satisfied but eating without connecting to my body correct yeah overeating um sometimes it could it could fall into that category absolutely and when we would be looking at um binging behaviors what would be being considered there is um kind of the experience of of eating um, and not feeling in control of that action, okay. um, or, um, kind of seeking to kind of feel a need through, through eating. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, a purging behavior would be, um, yeah, purging, eliminating, yep, yep, getting rid of, um, mm-hmm. and often I shouldn't say often, actually, 
a purging behavior would be, um, the, yeah, the elimination or getting rid of, um, of nutrition or, or, or food fuel. And, um, it's not uncommon that we would see an overlap in these behaviors. It's possible that somebody could be experiencing a binge and restrict cycle, um, a binge and purge cycle, um, that they kind of develop pattern of relying upon each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that just seems to be the theme, like overlap connection. Like, um, I'm also thinking about related to, you mentioned energy output. Mm -hmm. Um, So exercise, I know that was really new to me when I was in school of learning that there can be, you know, ways in which um, an individual is expressing an eating disorder through over-exercise, through their movement. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, In terms of like assessing what is over-exercise, I think like seeking, yeah, medical input would be valuable there. But, um, usually in terms of an eating disorder, I would say most often the way that it's showing up is to, um, challenge the nutritional input or to offset the nutritional input. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, we're not seeking to have the nutritional input be supporting the energy that we're putting out. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Those are helpful ways to like orient things in relation to each other. So my nutritional input related to my exercise, like, I don't know, even just in my own mind, I'm like thinking like, okay, like this is helpful even in talking with my kids and in helping to speak to them as they become more independent and manage um, their own, you know, dietary needs and input. They're away from us more. They're, you know, making more decisions with friends and at the vending machine at school and, you know, all these kinds of things. So this is a helpful, you know, way to to think about that. And I, and I want to say, you know, first of all, Megan, like we do not consider you an expert in eating disorders. We are grateful um, for what you bring here at the MCI in terms of your background um, in working in residential recovery and treatment and certainly in your own personal story. But, um, but just, yeah, wanted to um, offer a little bit of, of what we do look for as clinicians and then to encourage our listeners, you know, if any of that is of question or concern for you or someone you love, get an assessment, um, you know, through whether it's your primary care doc or through a, a specialized eating disorder clinic or dietitian. Um, there are just so many professionals that can help to shed light. And, um, you know, there, it's a spectrum, right? It's um, sometimes people are on, on the edge and skirting with, um, with a diagnosis. And so it can just be helpful to get some professional eyeballs on you. Um, to consider, hey, do I need support on this? Um, do I need treatment for this? So, you know, another thing that we haven't actually mentioned yet, Megan, but I'm aware of is your own training in the theology of the body, which by the way, as I was thinking about this, isn't that how you found out about the Martin Center? Was at a theology of the body conference or something? Yes. Yeah. There was a woman that I met. This would have been in 2021, the end of it. No, 2022, the end of 2022. Um, And yeah, I was at a conference and there was a woman reading the like meta model. Yes. Yes. From uh, Divine Mercy University. She had just been given this book. She was really excited about it. She's talking to me about it. And it came up that I was, um, yeah, pursuing my license, working, working as a therapist. And um, she found out that I was in Minnesota. She herself, I think, was living in Kansas, maybe. So I have no idea how she had this connection, but she, yeah, she was like, 
oh, you live in Minnesota? You should totally check out the Martin Institute is what she yeah. said. <laughs> Most Martin people institute. call us an institute. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was like, I just heard about them. Like, yeah, totally look them up. And um, I was like, okay. So I come home and I... <laughs> and where was this conference? Uh, Pennsylvania. It was in, okay. Mm-hmm. So she's from Kansas. Yeah. You're... Okay, cool. <laughs> yep. And so I come home. I'm doing a little searching and not finding anything right. because I'm searching the Martin Institute. Um, but a mutual friend of ours, uh, I shared this with her. Um, and she was like, oh, I totally know the people who are starting that. I used to live with them. Um, <laughs> Our old nanny. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, she put us in contact and uh, got That's a conversation. Wild. What I think is, first of all, amazing. Like she was, this is, this woman's from Kansas, like far away, but also like the MCI was so little. It was in its infancy. I mean, you were the first clinician to join on. So this is a little bit of a digression, but I just, I was thinking about this the other day when I was going over, um, yeah, some of the wisdom that you've gained through your theology, the body training. And I was like, wait a minute, I have that training to thank for bringing (laughs) us together. So, okay. Anyways, back, uh, tangent over. So, so through your theology, the body training, um, my understanding is it's brought you even more insight and maybe I can just hand it over to you to share with us what you've learned and how you think this helps us to relate to our bodies. Yeah, absolutely. It has been a, a profound gift. I'm, I'm still like receiving uh, training there. I'm certainly still and probably will forever be a student like of, of the theology of the body, but it has been a really profound uh, gift in my own healing and understanding of, of myself and the reality of like givenness. For those of you who aren't familiar, the theology of the body is um, essentially a series of talks that Pope John Paul II um, gave over a course of, I think, about five years, starting in like 1979, um, over like 130 talks. Um, it's a behemoth of, yeah. <laughs> of archives. Yeah. Um, but rooted in kind of the anthropology and theology of humanity and sexuality um, and really uncovering the gift of our humanity through understanding the way it, it reveals and reflects theology. Yeah. And, you know, culturally, socially, my understanding is that JP2 is, was really responding to the sexual revolution, to the legalization of abortion, you know, just to so much. And, and he's just seeing this lack of respect for the dignity of the human person embodied physically um, that inspired these talks. But we as a church have have taken them together um, and created this theology of the body. Um, and there are different ways in which people can learn, you know, with him. I'm remember in college, um, groups would gather to listen to the Christopher West CDs. Um, and so you are part of a program where you get to go take retreat slash classes, like grad level classes, um, to be trained further in it. So yeah, such, again, such a gift that you bring to us here, your perspective. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a huge, a huge, um, gift, like I said, to my own life as well. And I think these like really core, core, truths that as human persons, we are body, soul creatures. We are not separate from our body. Um, and in being embodied, we um, have a very unique experience of relating to God hmm. because of the truth of his incarnation, that hmm. he also is um, man. 
he is not only man, but he is fully man. Um, and he, he gifts himself to us in his son, Jesus. Yeah. Um, the, the gift of our humanity is this like point of connection in communion. Hmm. So to be dismissive or even to denigrate the body would be to miss this incredible source of communion and connection with our Lord. Hmm. And so theology of the body would say like we delve into it in order to like be more intimate with our God through our embodied experience. So how does, you know, what you've learned in theology of the body and, and what you've learned also clinically, psychologically, how does all this connect to this body acceptance, um, gratitude of the body? What are the things that you see lining up together? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. It is true that God created our bodies, that God comes to meet us in our bodies, and that God loves our bodies. But I would say both in my personal experience and my clinical experience, often um, it is not the case that that posture of like gift and love for our bodies is one um, that's held. Mm. And I, I think part of that is because, right, as embodied creatures, we experience life our, through our bodies, right? Our bodies are the avenue through which we encounter our experiences, positive and negative. And just as I shared right in the example earlier from my own story, there are ways that we make meaning mm-hmm. of those experiences. And often because our reality is body and soul as one, the meaning that we make of those experiences can often include meaning about ourselves or Mm. our body. So my goodness, my worth then gets tied up in my body. Like my story about my body begins to impact the dignity of my very personhood. Is that, am I following you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, um, we've recorded an episode recently with Father Nathan on shame. And so it just feels like these could, you know, connect deeply around. Um, We make the distinction that episode around being versus doing. And so, you know, guilt relates to my doing. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, shoot. I didn't do as well with that as I could have. And my being is like, I'm a mistake. I'm not good. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. Um, and so I hear this as like, yeah, there could be a lot of light shed if we think about, ooh, what kinds of stories might I be, shaming stories might I be telling about myself in my body that have become globalized to be about my personhood, my very sense of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We again, we experience everything in and through our bodies. And so, yeah, if we think about maybe it's the experience of um, an accident or an injury that impacts my mobility or my functioning or efficiency or um, experiencing chronic pain mm. or or a switch in a nutritional need, um, something that feels outside of my control, Um yeah, it's, it's not impossible for us to develop narratives about our body or to even experience distance or, or trying to separate from the needs that that is ex- expressing. Um, it's, it's also possible, right, that experiences of trauma, the way somebody receives or, or rejects our body, the way somebody mm. um, 
violates our body or doesn't, doesn't respect our boundary. Um, all of those things can impact the narrative that we hold towards ourselves. And there's so much research that's, you know, been ongoing, but I feel like it's really hit kind of mainstream, um, around our bodies and how they hold trauma that I often say to my clients, like our bodies are truth tellers. Um, we do a lot of like somatic influenced work. Somatic is using the body to gain information around my thoughts, my beliefs, um, memory, things like that. And, you know, clients will question me like, what are you doing all that? Like, what do you notice? And put your hand on your body part and all these things. And, and I'm like, because our minds are actually quite easily manipulated. Our bodies are truth tellers and they hold on to things. Um, and, and they're good at storing things too for a while. Um, and then often, you know, they, they emerge. Um, but, but yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking about how actually to go, to go back to the conversation about eating disorders specifically, that eating disorders actually are such confirmation of how interconnected mm-hmm. the, the body and the soul are. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm noticing a lot of food for thought here mm-hmm. for me. Um, yeah. I don't often work with, um, specifically around, you know, body image and what have you, but I'm also thinking about, man, there are ways in which this could be incorporated into a lot of folks therapy, therapeutic work. Um, because the truth is like, there are stories, um, we've all got an embodied experience and therefore we're telling ourselves a story, whether we're aware of it or not, mm-hmm. we're telling ourselves a story. Yes, I would certainly agree with that. Our bodies are wise, so wise. And um, usually I would, I would say that the reflection of um, some type of either symptom of distress towards our body or some narrative um, of disrespect or distrust towards our body is, yeah, revealing a deeper need. Yeah, so that perhaps if there are symptoms showing up in my physical person, I could give, give permission to be curious around like, Hey, might that be pointing to that deeper need? Yes, absolutely. There's actually a podcast that's, that's um, coming to my mind. As you say that there are a few episodes, um, on the interior integration for Catholics podcast early on, in the beginning um, stages of this podcast, uh, Dr. Peter looked at um, mind, body, soul, and heart, and did a series kind of on each of these elements of our humanity. And in the body set series, there are a couple episodes that I think would be really valuable to to link here just as kind of next steps in exploring these things. Um, And the first one is, yeah, him offering this invitation of how, how do we engage with a listening ear to, to our bodies? How do we trust that what our, what our bodies are expressing through emotion, through, um, our physical experience, et cetera, like what, what those are, are communicating to us. And he, yeah, guides kind of offers a guided reflection on, on how to do that. Um, but I, I think it could be really supportive. Yeah. Yeah. Tool. Yeah. I mean, I guess though, as I'm listening to you, it seems that there's this, um, this necessary first step of being attuned to my body, of being aware of it, acknowledging of it. Um, and, you know, the goal, as I'm hearing you say, would be acceptance, maybe even gratitude is further down the line. 
Can we go back to that beginning though? Like, you know, for so many of us, we are disconnected from our bodies or we have difficulty being with our bodies in our bodies. Um, thoughts about that concrete ideas. I mean, even for myself, like I'm like, okay, if I'm going to, you know, open up this, um, door toward healing related to my relationship with my body, like how might I start to increase connection and attunement there? I think you are spot on. You're spot on. I would maybe go back to something referenced earlier, right? Like the journey of healing, the journey of um, growing in integration, like isn't a linear one. So I'm not going to say that like it Mm. has to be Mm -hmm. this before Mm -hmm. it's this, like it's not rigid in that way. But I think the more in which we have a posture of acceptance, that we have a posture of um, curiosity, and we have a posture of gratitude, the more possible it will be for us to step into the work of processing the story around how we have come to hold kind of this disconnect or this distrust or this disdain for our body. The the more space we have for encountering our body in reality, the more support we will have in stepping into to that space. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can you say more about that reality bit? What yes. do you mean by that? Yeah. So acceptance is, I think, in its nature, receptive. Okay. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah I'm with you. Um, and so when we think about the reality of our body and accepting our body, the reality is that it is a gift to us. I did not create myself. I didn't choose this. Correct. Yeah. It was given to me. Mm -hmm. Like the Lord saw fit that this should be the body that I receive. Mm -hmm. Okay. I actually once, this is just kind of a side note, but I once was bringing um, kind of my own body image pieces to confession. And um, yeah, I was really blessed by the response of a priest um, expressing, this is the body that God has chosen to make you a saint in. Mm. Wow. That can be a really difficult reality. Yeah. Um, but it but it is reality, actually. Yeah. Um, it is true that God gifts us to ourselves. Yeah. That he gifts himself to us. And that he created us in love and with intention and purpose. Like he he cares for our creation. Um Maybe the one other piece, is it okay if I share this too? Yeah. Um, I have a long, uh, not that long ago, I guess, when I was a missionary with Focus, um, one of my teammates, a dear friend of mine, shared this like really profound kind of insight around affirmation. And um, it really struck me, it sticks with me today. Um, but he said, creation is the highest form of affirmation. Hmm. And I think as I continue to sit with that in my life, this awareness of um, ongoing gift, right? That that it is our existence is an ongoing like affirmation of the gift of who we are, right? We are being sustained at this moment mm. by God, um, and that is is an affirmation of of our givenness. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in each moment, we also, we also hold this space, this opportunity to be receptive there. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm hearing you say like, I, I get this choice, right? The Lord, the Lord has gifted me my body, my like corporeal existence and with its limitations, with its strengths, um, with whatever attributes it holds. And, um, and it's, it's up to me. I get to decide if I'm going to embrace that and be grateful for that and, and utilize it. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that glorifies him, but um, that at each moment there's an opportunity to to turn toward him in faith, because maybe I don't understand, particularly if I'm living with some kind. I mean, I think about um, you know infertility or a disability, um, perhaps an ability that's that hasn't been present even since birth, you know, or like you said, in an accident. But but I'm just I'm thinking about those very difficult things to accept and to grieve. Um, but each moment, like I'm, I'm welcomed into the Lord puts his hand out to me to say, can you step toward me in faith and in acceptance of what I've offered you? Um, and in the ways that I want to reveal my love to you through your body, again, through what it can and what it cannot do. Um, I think that for me, I'm just reflecting on like, in this Western modern culture where there is such an emphasis on productivity and on perfection, um, this is really challenging. Like this, um, it's countercultural, I would say. I don't think I'm overstating it to live in this way and to to think about myself in this way and to respond to others um, about themselves in this way. I would agree. I think it's a, a really difficult um, practice, certainly something that requires patience, requires practice. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to resist the temptation to get all linear, Megan, because I do believe what you're saying. I've certainly seen that in my own life, and I certainly see it with my, cl- with my clients, um, that healing in any way is, I mean, just think about our moral life, right? I, I leave that confessional and I have so much enthusiasm and conviction. And then there I am two weeks later you know, saying much of the same things. So I, I get that it's not linear. And also I kind of want to put some things together that we've talked about today. Um, so um, I'm, I'm hearing you say that there is um, a, maybe a, a first step um, in being like meditating on this gift of what we have received, this living in reality of like, this is the truth, right? Like whether you or I believe it does not cease it being truth. (laughs) Um, So that's maybe one of the pieces. Um, And then the other is, it feels like there's something of great value and necessity in acknowledging our own beliefs, in, in naming that story, I guess you were talking about earlier. What is the narrative? That, that we all carry a narrative, whether we have taken the time to be reflective enough and to articulate it for ourselves. We have some kind of relationship, stance, story that we are telling about our bodies. And so to get real about that, right? There's a further living in reality of like, okay, what's the reality between my ears um, that's going on for me? Um, And then it seems that um, there can be this welcoming in also of much of what JP2 offers us in the theology of the body around our body's goodness. And, and in all things, right, we want to be integrated, but it seems like then a coming together is possible of like, 
Lord, here's the truth of where I'm at. Here's the truth of what I believe. Here's the truth of what I see when I look in the mirror, when I look down, um, when I see myself engaged in these activities, bring your truth. You know, Lord, I'm, I'm open um, to you coming and enlightening me and broadening my view, giving me a different perspective. Um, other things that you imagine could be helpful um, in this work of healing that I'm being really bold in saying that there's a little bit for all of us to do. I'm Absolutely. just going to go out and say that. So there you have it. <laughs> Not saying we all have eating disorders. I'm saying that we all have some ways in which our relationships with our bodies could use attention and could use grace and the Lord's enlightenment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe I can also normalize that the the consideration of encountering the story of my body, if that feels terrifying to you, like that's not your fault. Yeah. And it's also not uncommon totally because of these pieces that we've been talking about today um yeah it actually probably makes a lot of sense if if we were to look at the story like why why there is such distance maybe that we have in encountering our body or or um why it would feel safer to to um make space from encountering my body or, or to resist encountering my body and the story kind of connected to it. So I just want to like reverence the yeah. the reality that that this is a tender place for a lot of people. And um, that's, not, that's not something that um, we need to be ashamed of. And I also want to say for men and women. Absolutely. 100%. I really hope there's a lot of guys out there that are listening to this episode because I think for so long, again, in our culture, it has been said like, oh, body stuff, eating stuff, that's for women. And certainly there are particular messages that we've received, but I also think that actually the way in which we haven't talked about the impact, the relationship of men with their bodies to their sense of worth and self has actually made it very difficult and even more shaming because then men who are attuned enough and aware enough have difficulty coming forward and saying, I need help with this. Absolutely. Yeah. I have, um, yeah, worked with a variety of individuals, um, not only specifically women. Um, so I think that's a really important point for us to make and to just, um, yeah, normalize. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I appreciate we are that. All, we are all human persons. Right? Yeah. We all have an embodied experience and, um, yeah, yes. In thinking about taking an initial step towards encountering our body in a new way, my invitation would be um, would be to start with a non-judgmental stance. So is this our challenge by choice? Is this what you're giving us this week to practice? Yeah, yes, yes. It is my invitation. Um, and the reason that I, I would invite us starting here is because again, this is a place of, of tenderness. Um, and so being able to start in a place that feels approachable, I think is tremendously important, like for this work to actually be impactful for, um, change and, and transformation to actually occur here. This isn't something we can like will to happen, right? Like muscle our way through. Right. right. We want to respect the place that our system's at. Mm-hmm. Right. We want to respect the the state of the relationship in reality today with our body 
acceptance does not mean that I approve of it or that I want it to be that way, but it is important to be in reality about it. If I am denying that, it's going to be a barrier to making change. Mm-hmm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my invitation around a non-judgmental stance, um, this is um, a tool connected to uh, the practice of DBT therapy. Yep. Um, and it's essentially the invitation to hold a posture of non-judgment. So is that like, like I think of like valence neutral, like neither good nor bad, Mm -hmm. just like factual. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. When I was um, working in a treatment setting, we would consider um, body neutrality kind of within this space. But the idea of saying, can I have a neutral posture towards how I'm encountering my body? So this could be starting with like a statement like this is my body right? As a way to challenge maybe the narrative of shame, of negativity, of opposition that exists to practice when I notice that narrative, right? Practice becoming attuned to the fact that that narrative exists and um, seeking to respond or to make space for reality, to step with our body into reality, to say, this is my body. I am not defined by my experiences. I'm impacted maybe by them, but I'm not defined by them. Um, these are my hands. Does that make sense? Like starting with this space of just like familiarizing ourselves with what is reality. Um, and from there we can expand it to include gratitude or acceptance. But I would say this familiarization is a first step and an important step. Um, yeah, to lead to this work of telling this story, processing this story. Um, One additional episode within that Body Set series, um, Dr. Peter interviews Dr. Andrew. I'm forgetting the last Dr. Andrew. It's all good. Um, It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, okay. Um, He interviews um, someone named Dr. Andrew who expands a little bit more on the obstacles that we could encounter in Um, receiving our body as a gift and then walks through um, more of a meditation around receiving the gift of our bodies um, as kind of additional steps for walking towards familiarizing ourselves with that that story, telling telling or processing the story that we hold towards our bodies. Um, So again, a link for like kind of further exploration can, can be found in the show notes. But I think in terms of my challenge by choice, yeah, being able to start with this place of non-judgmental stance and to kind of hold compassion with ourselves for where we're at in in this relationship with our body today. Yeah, which I think is that non-judgmental stance is tricky. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a conversation among some of our children the other day, and I'm just like, wow. And, and, and granted, it's developmentally appropriate when you're six and four, like they are, but the the human inclination to good, bad, you know, like, and to just mm-hmm. categorize things, put them in buckets. Yeah. A non-judgmental stance can be really hard to hold. And and maybe it can often be the experience actually that we're we're kind of unaware that we're having a judgmental stance. Yeah. So quick to put things in buckets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so one of my invitations maybe, or encouragements would be to, um, in, in practicing, practicing holding a non-judgmental stance or familiarizing ourselves with that would be to start with considering the body in its function. And maybe I can share a couple examples of what that could look like. Maybe also an additional invitation, depending on 
where you're at in your relationship with your body, it would probably also be my encouragement to start with a less um, distressing part Mm. of your body. Yes. Um, Yeah, a less distressing part of your body when you're going to practice this. Maybe a part that you do like um, embrace and appreciate, like already have an inherent appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or or a part of your body that seems um, more neutral kind of in how you relate to it. Um, and so we can maybe use the example of our hands. So, um, we could have any kind of sort of judgment towards our hands. There's lots of different ways that that could look. Um, but in terms of kind of holding that non-judgmental stance, starting with saying, these are my hands and then considering how do they serve me? How do they allow me to encounter my life or those I care about? Um, throughout my day, maybe I could say these hands, um, allow me to, uh, hold my child, maybe wipe their tears or comfort them. Maybe these hands allow me to care for my neighbor or my friend. Maybe they allow me to make art or to write, to do something that I'm passionate about, to garden, um, to just like let yourself consider how they further support um, your participation in your life and kind of begin to expand that consideration of their gift, their gift in uh, their aspect of your creation. Um, It is important, I think, to mention in the space of this challenge that it, it's not our body's function which makes it good. Our bodies are like good and sacred because they exist, because they reflect the image of God in a specific way that is unique to each person. Um, yeah, they, they are good in themselves. Um, there are ways that the function of our bodies or the way we choose to use them can and like ought to glorify God. Um, but that is not why he loves them. Uh, he loves our bodies because they are a gift as they are. Yeah. That's, I mean, that is in a sense, like seems so simple. And as I listen to you, I'm like, oh man, like that is profound. And, and just to, to be aware of how much we ask of our bodies and expect of our bodies. I often talk about, you know, reminding myself that I'm not an instant pot and just, I, I, I demand so much of this physical being, Mm -hmm. um, without taking the time to really honor it and to, um, to look at it, speak about it, consider its care and its need for refreshment that, that comes out of its dignity, um, Mm -hmm. that it's not just an object to be used. Um, but it is again, back to your first point, like it is a gift to be received, Um, so yeah, beautiful. Any further thoughts? Yeah. One thing that is coming to my mind, there is, um, another work by Pope John Paul II. Um, it's called a meditation on givenness and in it, I would say he's expanding on a lot of these, um, concepts of, of theology of the body. Um, in particular, like the way that we relate with another, Um, And one of the lines in it, um, he's talking about how we ought to receive another. And he says, um, it, the body, is to remain ever an object of your respect. 
mm. considering right another and I, I think this applies deeply to our experience of relating to ourselves and kind of connects to what you were sharing there mm-hmm. that like being able to slowly expand this space that we hold for the reality of our being the gift of our being the more there is this space to receive its dignity to approach it with respect and um and to trust its givenness yeah yeah oh beautiful it if it's okay with you, I just want to lead us right into prayer, Megan, because my my heart is moved to speak to the Lord about so much of what we've shared today. So let's go ahead and pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord of life, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of our lives and particularly your wisdom, your genius in giving us our bodies um, and in sending your son in the fullness of his humanity that he made holy the physical experience uh, that we have as humans. God, you you are so wise. You are so perfect in your providence and in your plan. And I pray that you would give us the grace to to be open to understanding your plan more and more, um, to be open to seeing the the wisdom and the genius in what you have planned for us, even amidst the trials, the disabilities, the pains, the traumas. Um, Lord, be with us, be close to us sustain us, heal us. We place ourselves, we place our loved ones, perhaps anyone that we know is struggling in a a serious way in their relationship with their body. We entrust this all to you, Lord, and ask you to hold it and to carry it. And we pray all of this in your powerful and holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Megan. Like words cannot really express my gratitude to you for what you've given me in my own personal story um, and the ways that I know I'm benefiting to support clients as well. Um, Certainly excited about our listeners getting to receive from this and to consider that challenge by choice invitation you've given them. So thank you, our listeners, for um, being with us for another hour of incredible conversation and considering how we can pursue this life of sanity and sanctity. If you haven't already, subscribe. There's more good stuff to come. So be with us. Um, get our emails and know when, you know, what topics are dropping, what episodes are coming out next. Um, connect with us on social media, This Whole Life Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And for sure, we are waiting to hear from you at thiswholelifepodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you all. This Whole Life is a production of the Martin Center for Integration. Visit us online at thiswholelifepodcast.com. Sorry. It's okay. Wait.
How we're waiting for a plane to go by. <laughs>